Our guest today is Adair Flint, a certified nurse midwife and a family nurse practitioner. Adair provides childbirth education classes in Jackson Hall, which I took, and virtual classes across the country. She is passionate, you'll see this in the interview, about educating patients and the community about the birth process, how to navigate our imperfect healthcare system, and guiding new parents as they transition into parenthood. Want to get amazing insights and perspectives from local health and fitness professionals here in Jackson Hole? This is the podcast for you, and we're your hosts, Dr. Laura Wright and Dr. Parker Hughes. everyone. Welcome to Health in the Hole. I am here today with Dara Flint, who is both a family nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. So she is going to talk to us about that and as well as evidence-based birth in the class that she teaches. So Dara, welcome. How are you? So great. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Awesome. So let's just start with some background. How did you become a nurse practitioner and a midwife? Kind of what order did you do that in and what are they? Yeah. So I have always, even since I was a teenager, really been interested in um, helping people with their health goals and actually birth control access. So I um, went in high school and took a bunch of my friends to a public health clinic in downtown Houston. And I met a women's health nurse practitioner there that she provided um uh, girl services to teenagers and to women that don't have insurance all over Houston. And I just felt like she was incredible. And she really taught me about my body and taught me about, um, positive sex. And it just was really profound for me. And so I went into college, University of Georgia, and I did my undergrad in public health, a degree called health promotion. And from there I went and got experience as a medical assistant in OBGYN and midwifery clinics and became a doula. And when I was doing doulaing and I was working in OBGYN clinics, I really saw a need in our birth system for change and for empowerment of birthing persons. And so when you're a doula, you really, there's our medical system is all about power and this kind of hierarchy. And when you're a doula and even sadly a patient Sometimes when you get into this industrialized complex of the hospitals and medical system, you lose a lot of power. And so I really just midwife was midwifery was a calling for me and also being a nurse practitioner so that I could not only take care of my birthing, my birthing family, my birthing moms and babies, but also for the entire family, which is really important in rural medicine, which I always knew I wanted to get into. So I went and got a bachelor's of science at nursing and then did a dual in family nurse practitioner and certified nurse midwife. You got them at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Got them at the same time. And there's a lot of different types of midwives. Um, the type I am, and they're all wonderful. Um, the type I am is a certified nurse midwife, which means that I was a registered nurse before becoming a midwife. Um, uh, certified professional midwives are also graduate educated, but they aren't nurses before becoming midwives. And in the state of Wyoming, you have to be a certified nurse midwife to work in the hospital. Um, and I always knew I wanted to be a, a hospital-based midwife. So, 
Got it. Okay. And so just explain what is a nurse practitioner and how does it compare to an MD and why would someone see one or the other? Yeah, that's a really great question because we are quite different. Um, so there is um, a, a, a nurse practitioner is an advanced practice registered nurse. And what that basically means is that we go on to get a master's education and that really focuses on um, on assessment, diagnosis, and treatment. So we do a lot of a lot of extra pharmacology, and then we do clinicals surrounding diagnosing and treating. And that is in the acute care setting, like um, in hospitals in the ER and ICUs. Um, there are nurse practitioners that are hospitalists. Um, they're actually acute care nurse practitioners, and I'm a family nurse practitioner, which means I'm on the general practice and primary care side. Um, so our education is quite different. Um, MDs go to school um, uh, a few years longer than nurse practitioners do. And it depends what state that, and we have a totally different model of um, education. So uh, MDs and PA physicians assistants are brought up through the medical model of care. And basically they believe that health is the absence of disease. And nurse practitioners and other APRNs like um, certified registered nurse um, anesthetists, um, midwives, nurse practitioners, we're all brought up in the nursing model of care. And that, that is more of a holistic approach that believes that health encompasses many, many, many constructs um, uh, of um, the human experience, including spirituality, mental health, your actual physical health, um, uh, your ability to do, um, you know, kind of the occupational uh, therapy things for you to be able to do the daily acts of living. Um, and we really focus in on all those aspects of health um, to make our patients have developed their health goals and give them an approach for them to really meet their health goals. Right. And you, so you can diagnose, you can manage patients, your primary contact, you can bill insurance, you can write prescriptions, send out for yep. imaging. Is, yes. is there something that doctors, MDs can do that you can't? Yeah. So it depends what state you're in. Um, MDs are able to do all of those things in every single state independently. Um, nurse practitioners have, according to the state laws, different scope of practice. So we are all trained to be able to do all of the things that you just said independently without any sort of supervision, supervision of a physician. But there are states that limit that access to nurse practitioners and um, they have to have supervising physicians. Um, luckily in Wyoming, we have one of the most comprehensive scope of practices um, out of any of the states because it is such a rural area and access to healthcare is very important in an area like Wyoming where there's kind of these um, the, this, uh, these small populations dispersed throughout a rural state. So um, us, uh, that's a major barrier if nurse practitioners have to have a medical doctor that supervises, supervises them. So in Wyoming, nurse practitioners have complete full scope authority where we can prescribe on our own, we can prescribe narcotics on our own. We just have to practice within the scope that we were trained. So I can only practice in family nurse practitioner and women's health because of my certified nurse midwife. Um, I couldn't go into, um, I couldn't go do neurology 
or go do endocrinology or necessarily derm without supervision of a physician, because that would be a different specialty than what I was specifically trained in. Um, and then we're, we're not surgeons. So um, for instance, like in midwifery, I can't, I assist in C-sections, mm-hmm. but I don't actually perform the C-sections. Um, so, uh, we have in general practice, we have a very, very similar scope and, and same with St. John's, uh, at the hospital, they do not allow advanced practice providers, PAs and nurse practitioners. They do not allow them to practice without a supervising physician. So we all, the advanced practice providers at St. John's health, we have supervising physicians that, um, basically just, um, I mean, they don't even like sign orders after us or anything. It's just that our light, our privileges are under them and they're kind of responsible for us, I guess. Got it. Okay. So let's talk about midwifery. Where did that come from? Brief history. I'm sure it's long. And then when would somebody choose in a pregnancy to see a midwife versus an OBGYN? Yeah, that's also a really good question. So midwifery has a very similar um, history of a lot of healthcare and a lot of our country. It's kind of, um, it has some deep-seated racism in it. We, the American midwives, um, our origins were, um, are what we call grand midwives, and they were the um, midwives that ran, uh, did all the births on the plantations as, um, as slaves. Oh, interesting. And yeah, so um, I, a lot of um, white Southern slave owners, women, they learned the art of midwifery from these slaves and stole it as their own. And that is how um, midwifery started. And then in the 1920s is when, um, so arrest, the, most, of the, um, most of the world, about 80 to 90% of births are done by midwives. Um, and they have a lot better birthing statistics um, than us for lots of reasons that I could go into a whole different podcast about. Um, but um, in the United States in the 1920s, American Medical Association, they um, brought OBGYNs and surgery onto the scene and brought birth from the home into the hospital and really um, capitalized on birth. Um, And when that happened, midwives were called witches. They were called, um, they were, it was thought of as this um, this very unsafe practice to have birth at home with these uneducated um, midwives and women. And so it was brought to the hospital. And that is when midwifery was pretty obliterated in the United States and it still flourished everywhere else. Um, and then now in the last 20 years, we've seen a little bit of an, uh, uh, a little bit of a comeback. We're doing about 10 to 12% of the births in the United States, um, which is still not nearly enough. Um, but we're working really, we really, um, this new generation of OBGYNs, um, really loves having it. a lot of us work very, very hand in hand on teams together in the hospital and home birth is actually making a really great comeback right now too. And then um, what was the other question you asked? Uh, why would somebody see a midwife? Maybe share oh, yeah. some of those good reasons. This yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, it's a very different personalized type of care compared to an OBGYN. I love, um, I work with Dr. Jovanina Anthony and I love the way she explains it to patients that Um, OBGYNs are very much about the outcome. So they're very much just, I, all I care about is getting a healthy mom and healthy baby, which of course is very important to midwives too. But Jovanina explains it like 
uh, when you see a dare or you see a midwife, they are just as concerned about the process. And so I, midwives do a lot on the front end with prenatal care. We spend a lot more time with our patients um, at each kind of visit each week, um, teaching a different topic and teaching them about birth, about the interventions that can happen in birth, about breastfeeding, about baby essentials, um, really any topic you can think of, peds care, um, to where by the time the actual birthing period comes, they are really prepared and we spend their labor with them, pushing and um, uh, catching the baby um, and a little bit postpartum. When OBGYNs, typically they come in when the baby's crowning and catch the baby. Not all OBGYNs are like that, but that's just kind of a, um, a, general, a generalization. Um, and, um, so we just are, it's much more, um, it's much more, we use a lot more education in our practice. And we also view a pregnant person as being extremely healthy and this being one of the healthiest times of their lives. Cause midwives see low risk birthing people. OBGYNs are specialists that really in most birthing systems are only used for high risk birthing people in high risk birthing situations. And Luckily, when you are in that time of your life, when you are able to get pregnant, it's a very healthy time of your life. Mm -hmm. So midwives really believe in that health and believe that the, the, um, the less that we intervene with a birthing person, the safer their birth is going to be. Um, and um, OBGYNs, they are brought up in that medical model, just like we talked about, that health is the absence of disease. And they see pregnancy as more of a Condition. medical yeah. need. Yeah. Medical need and to do um, medical interventions to try and get that baby here as fast as possible and try and get, um, and try and get mom and baby as safe as possible. And they just believe that sometimes inter medical intervention gets them there. And we're just brought up very differently in the OB world that way. So when you're delivering at the hospital and it's just normal vaginal birth, is there an OBGYN that has to supervise or not? You can do it no, all on your own. Not at all. We're totally, there's three midwives um, in uh, that work at the hospital. They're certified nurse midwives, Amanda Risner, Teresa Lurch, and I, mm -hmm. and all three of us completely practice independently. Now we have an OB that is um, backing us up that is able, is just a phone call away and can be there. Um, within, you know, the 20 minutes, but usually they're there way sooner if we need them. So we always have somebody available to us, but they are not actually in-house in the hospital, um, nor, do, nor do they have to be. We are able to do everything um, in a normal vaginal birth, including repair, um, if there's um, a little laceration from the birth, which happens all the time, um, and managing postpartum hemorrhage. We're trained to do all of the um, all the processes that can happen in a high risk situation, but um, we just um, we just don't see high known high risk women. Right, got it. Yeah, because I right I ended up with a C section, so I had to go that route and have an OBGYN you know, plus Teresa there. So she Teresa is so amazing, and you know weirdly C sections. I think I told you this in the class. Um, a C-section when it's planned because of a breach or because it's a, mm -hmm. um, another, um, it's a repeat C-section, which um, at, at St. John's really excitingly, we're getting a lot more um, comfortable with doing the tolax and VBACs, but that's another conversation. Um, but um, I, I love a good planned cesarean birth. They're actually really 
beautiful births. I say ours was almost planned. We were supposed to have her on Friday a week early. And then I went in for my appointment that Monday and my amniotic fluid levels were low. And Teresa said, you're having the baby today. So it was a a little bit sooner, but. They're really, I mean, when they're not emergency and it's just um, like the one that the one last night, like they're just, they're really beautiful births actually. And you can make a C-section a really beautiful birth too. Um, when, you know, you can drop the drapes, they can see the birth and they can be really lovely. I actually like a good C-section. I was going to say the lights in there are pretty bright. Like I recommend, <laughs> I recommend sunglasses. Like when my friends went in to like, when she came two weeks later and I was like, bring sunglasses. The OR is so bright. I love that. It is, it is really bright. Did you get to listen to whatever music you wanted to? Though? Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. We had some fun music. Um, okay. Where was I going next? Let's, where do you work? Tell people like if somebody wants to work with you as a midwife, we'll talk about the birth class. Oh, wonderful. So I work at women's health and family care, um, with, um, Dr. George and Dr. Anthony are the OBGYNs and Dr. Laura Vignaroli and Katie Noyce are the, um, family physicians. And I work as both a family nurse practitioner and a midwife there. So I really, just am so fortunate that I came out to Jackson and was able to find this kind of unicorn of a job. Um, most people that do certified nurse midwife and family nurse practitioner, they work as a midwife and they use their um, FNP knowledge um, to be able to provide more of a scope of mental health and general care to their moms and even to babies. Um, so it's really rare though to find a clinic that you get to do both family practice where I see men and, um, and babies and kids. I get to, to a lot of times parents that use me as a midwife, they choose me to be the peds provider as well. And, um, it's absolutely amazing getting to take care and watch the babies that I, um, that I caught grow up. Um, and so I work, I work there at Women's Health and Family Care. And then I also work at Teton County Public Health on Thursday evenings. We do a STI and family planning clinic that provides free birth control to the um, to the community and um, free well women exams and STI exams and treatment, um, which I'm very, very passionate about as well. Awesome. We might have to do another podcast on yeah public health and all of that. So, so talk to us then about the evidence-based birth class. Did you start that? Was it something that was going on that you took over? Who else is doing it? What are people's options for those kind of pre-birth classes? Um, so I, doing my undergrad in public health, I have, I just absolutely love teaching and empowering people with health knowledge. So doing um, birth classes is something I've been doing for, gosh, 10 or 12 years, because when I was a doula in Atlanta, in Athens, Georgia, I did it as well. Um, and I just, I, I really like teaching not only about the birth process and about birth planning, but I really like teaching about becoming a parent and what that looks like and the important conversations that couples need to have. So I always had my own curriculum and Andrea Wienig and I, who's a doula out here, we did for the first couple of years I was out here, we did a class together too. Um, and then I always have been involved with evidence-based births since my first pregnancy. And when I was in nursing school, um, Rebecca Decker, she's a PhD um, uh, research nurse. 
um, she actually started in cardiology, researching in cardiology, but she had a really unfortunate birth experience in Kentucky at a hospital that really constrained her and did not allow her to get out of the bed when she, her water was broken and cited. I mean, I, I can't even remember what they cited, but just absolutely nothing that, um, uh, nothing that happened to her was based in science or evidence. So after that experience, she decided to look into and research the science and evidence about labor and birth and see where the discrepancies are. And she mm -hmm. found that there's a ton of discrepancies in what's actually practiced in some hospital systems and what is the actual science. And so she started this website, evidencebasedbirth.com. And it's for birth consumers and families for them to go and look at the different interventions and the different birthing processes and find out what the evidence is and how to advocate for themselves in the birthing space. Um, so fast forward to us moving to Jackson four years ago, I came from a big healthcare system at Emory in Atlanta, Georgia, mm -hmm. and I was trained in Athens, Georgia, um, where um, in Athens, there was, they had a great birth culture, a lot like here in Jackson, but in Atlanta, I definitely saw a lot of the things that a lot of birthing people around the country report that um, are C-sections getting called after not progressing their cervical change for two to three hours and um, just because it's getting late at night and just really unfortunate things. Um, and it, um, and so I got into the evidence-based birth uh, website because they do a ton of continuing education and stuff too for birthing, um, for people in the birth world. And they started this childbirth education class a few years ago um, that is a flipped classroom module, so, uh, flipped, class, flipped classroom concept where you watch um, videos and modules and then all meet in person. And I was really drawn to it because it's very, very comprehensive. Mm -hmm. Not it is. only, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, There's a lot. It is, I tell people it's an investment. It's an investment in time and, and, and in money, but um, you learn really truly as much um, as that even they teach labor and delivery nurses. I mean, it is, um, it is so, you have so much knowledge going into the birth space. Um, which some people view as like, that's too much. I don't want to know that much about what could happen to me. I really trust my provider mm -hmm. and that's great. But for people that are really curious humans that love to learn about what their body's going through and what's going to happen and be prepared for any sort of intervention that gets thrown at them and really want to own their birth experience, which the research tells us that people that feel like they had a say in their birth experience um, they report better outcomes and um, better um, birth experiences than people that felt like a provider just came in and barked stuff at them and did stuff to them without them really understanding what was going on. Um, so I think evidence-based birth does a great job at that, but they also do a great job teaching people the language of the healthcare system and how to navigate the healthcare system, um, which even in a town like Jackson at St. John's Health, which we really, every single provider there is so amazing. We call it OB heaven. They all practice the evidence. It's still important to know how to advocate for your loved ones and love for your, and, and for yourself in the healthcare world and how to have these really respectful conversations with your provider about your values surrounding healthcare, which also is something that gets brought up in the class is you and your partner 
really soul searching your values surrounding healthcare, which I think is one of the most important tools going forward as a new parent. And then also it teaches a ton about breastfeeding and becoming a new parent, which I think that a lot of people's biggest, um, I think a lot of people's biggest mistake when they're pregnant is reading all the books and doing all the planning on labor and then their baby ends up being breached and they have a planned C-section mm-hmm. or um, it labor does not go the way that they imagined, which happens all the time. Labor is just not something we can control. Um, so they do all this work for this birthday and then they don't really do a ton of work on what kind of parents they want to be um, about breastfeeding, which I'm still trying to figure out how to prepare people for breastfeeding. I think the class does a great job, but mm-hmm. it's just so hard to have women understand the true spectrum of breastfeeding and how easy it is for some people and absolutely how difficult it can be for others. So I'm still trying to, I don't know, any feedback you have. Yeah. I mean, I think it helped that people told me that it was going to hurt a lot (laughs) that way when it hurt, I was like, Oh, Oh, okay. This hurts. Yep. They're right. It, it hurt me too. And I always kept thinking that I was doing the, that the latch was wrong and that something was wrong because people made it like, Oh no, if it hurts, then it's not, it's not the right latch and it's, you're not, you're not doing it right. But really for people that have really sensitive nipples and breasts, I mean, it, it, it hurts. It just does. And maybe it doesn't hurt for others, but that can be totally normal for breastfeeding to hurt. So, um, so yeah, I, I, the evidence-based birth class, I, I think it's just really comprehensive and it prepares you more than for just the birth and gives you, gives you life skills to have to work through our healthcare system. So how do people find that class? And when are you offering so, it again? Yeah, so we have a class starting tomorrow evening, Wednesday. Is that the 23rd? Yes. Yes, Wednesday the 23rd. And this one's actually going to be in person. So when Laura and their cohort did it, it was on Zoom because we were still um, in the thick of the pandemic. And this one's going to be out um, at Rangeview Park. Um, I, my house is right on Rangeview Park. So um, we're going to do it in person, it'll be for the next four Wednesdays. And then I'll be doing one that starts um, July. Let me look at my calendar. Uh, July 27th on Tuesdays for four Tuesdays. Um, and it will be in person as well. Um, they usually last about 5.30 to 7.30, two of them and two of them are just an hour. And um, you can find information on my Instagram at um, Adair underscore, Adair Flint underscore CNM underscore FNP. Um, and um, you can also call our office, Women's Health and Family Care, um, to get more information and register. Are you on Instagram? And I'll, put, I'll put both of those links on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Great. Well, the thing I was going to say about breastfeeding. So our little one, she's, she latches on her arm when she's really hungry. 30 seconds, she'll leave a hickey. Like that's, that's how hard she sucks. If she can leave a hickey on my arm in 30 seconds, you can imagine like kind of what trauma that is to nipples. There's a reason it hurts. So yeah. Oh man. She's got a really good suck reflex though. Yes. I mean, and she started with the hospital with that. They were all like, wow, you're doing great. I'm like, I'm not doing anything. This little girl just likes to eat. But you know, I bet, I, I, I wonder, is your supply just wonderful though? Because with her suckling like that, it must really, really engage the brain to make that supply. Yeah. It's yeah. I would say the last couple of days, she's just been eating so much now I can barely keep up, but otherwise it's been good. <laughs> she's a, 
he has my husband genes for like eating and like a big body type, I think. So that's She's, great. How big was she when she was born? She was six pounds, nine ounces. And then this past Wednesday, she was 12 pounds, 12 ounces. So yeah, she's, she's almost going to start sleeping better. She's going to start sleeping better. Once they get over that 12 pound mark, I really feel like that's a big difference in the way they sleep. That'd be good. That'll be, that'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else that you want to share tips for people? Just kind of things. Why would somebody, you know, take a class? The, you know, I think, I think my biggest, I think my biggest tip is to, um, really, you know, classes, classes are great. There's one at the hospital as well that, um, is, I, I believe it's free for the community. I think they're still doing it over zoom. Um, but you can show up to your birth and, not know anything about it and um, have a really great relationship with your provider and fully trust them and have a wonderful experience. Um, I do think we put way too much pressure on birthing people about the way to birth. So um, I really think it's important that everybody knows that birth and the way that you want to birth is absolutely your choice. And there is no wrong, there is no wrong way at all. Um, and to spend, you know, a lot of that time in your prenatal period, um, really enjoying those last moments of you and your partner, um, being just the two of you, or you and your partner being with just that one or the that one or two children, um, because it really is a special time and it does change when the baby comes and it doesn't change mm-hmm. for the, it doesn't change for the worst, but you really, I just think it's so important to, um, take that time and really soak it in. And, um, you know, if you really are curious about birth and you want to know everything about, uh, what's going on with your body and what to expect in labor and understand the science about all of it, um, these classes really are fantastic and you can learn a lot about yourself and about your own values surrounding birth in the healthcare system. Um, and yeah, Happy, happy pregnancy and birthing vibes to everybody out there that's expecting these, um, these uh, COVID, what it, coronials, these baby coronials. I love it. The word I have is a happening. new word. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Happy birthing to all these coronials because it's, uh, it's pretty wild in the OB. Uh, it's a pretty wild in the OB department right now with lots of babies. So, so fun. Awesome. Thank you, Adair. We appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Health in the Hole. If you liked it, please subscribe so you can hear more episodes. And remember, this podcast is not medical advice. Consult your health provider before doing anything drastic.